Now, it's time for the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast with Dean Linke. The National Soccer Coaches Association of America is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From advocacy, education, and networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Join the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's our veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke. It's championship time, and that means this is going to be a championship show on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Hello, buddy. This is Dean Linke, and we made a bold promise months ago that we would talk to every champion coach from NJCAA, NAIA, D3, D2, and D1 men and women. We've already had on four NJCAA championship coaches, and today we have on seven more championship coaches. We start in the NAIA. The women's champion is Northwestern Ohio, and their head coach, Stuart Gore, is up first. The men's champion is Hastings, led by the appropriately named Aaron Champanoy, and the Champanoy is also on. Then we move to D3 on the women's side. The University of Washington in St. Louis are the champs. And their coach, Jim Conlon, joins us, as does Tufts men's soccer coach, Josh Shapiro, as the Jumbles won their second title in the last three years on the men's side. Up next, it's D2, and the D2 women's champion is Western Washington. Travis Cannell joins us to talk about his championship, and he hopes that his Seattle Sounders can also win a title of their own. And then Gary Hamill from Wingate, who led the Bulldogs to their first ever national championship any sport, men or women, and he is on just a day after a big celebration on the D1 side. Just last week, we met University of Southern Cal women's coach Hidani McAlpine. And one week later, the women of Troy are national champions after defeating Nikki Izzo Brown's West Virginia Mountaineers 3-1 to to claim the title, and he is on again. After Kidani, we're joined not with a coach, but with a champion of this podcast, Rob Kehoe, the NSCA Director of College Programs, once again goes inside the numbers of our championship runs in college soccer, including fans in the stands. Rob also previews this weekend's Men's Division I College Cup in Houston, breaking down all four teams, including the UNC Tar Heels, who are led by Carlos Samuano. Carlos is the only coach in the College Cup we have not talked to this year as part of the podcast, so as he goes for his second national championship in six years on the job, we had to talk to him, and we will. It's a championship show on what I hope you feel is becoming a championship quality podcast. And we start with our two NAIA champions, Aaron Champanoy, who led Hastings to the men's NAIA title. And up first, it's Stuart Gore, who led Northwestern Ohio to the NAIA women's title. Championship coaches abound around the corner on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linke. Here we go. As promised, this is our championship show. We'll talk to seven championship coaches, those coaches who have won titles this year in 2016. Yes, seven of them. And we start at the NAIA level, and I am pleased to be joined by the head coach for the Northwestern Ohio Women's Soccer Program in Lima, Ohio, and their head coach is Stuart Gore. Stuart, thanks for being with us. Great to be on. First off, I got to tell you, when I see Northwestern Ohio, that's where I grew up. So you're in Lima, not 
too far from Fremont, Ohio. I know you didn't grow up there, but based on that accent and some of the other things we're going to tell people. But how are you enjoying it in Lima, Ohio? Yeah, you know, I can't complain, you know, and winning's winning. So wherever you are, if you're winning, you're happy. All right, well, let's talk about your path, though, because as we know, you are from England, where you had an amazing time as a youth. You actually played for the England national team youth program, and then you won a big title with Leeds United. Tell us about that. Yeah, obviously, you know, I think it's obviously more developed now in terms of the academy systems and the youth systems and how they play. And But, the yeah, the FA Youth Cup was the, the biggest thing we could win back in those days, and, you know, I got to join a laundry list of the, the you know the Man United team that won it the class of 92 and all those sort of guys have, have, have gone before me and um, so yeah so it's, it's been uh, it was a it was a humongous a humongous thing bad haircuts that's why I look at the picture nowadays and I see very bad haircuts well obviously you were drawn to America though because you decided to come over to Alabama the University of Montevallo is that how you say it Yep, yep, University of Montevallo, yep. Okay, and that's just 30 minutes south of Birmingham in Alabama, which is pretty cool because we'll also talk to the University of Southern Cal head coach Kadani McElpine, who grew up in Alabama, so I like that yep. tie. But what made you uh, What made you head to Alabama to play? Um, I didn't really know you know, much about college soccer at that time, and more down to my mum told me that wherever I go, I had to go where they're going to offer me the most amount of money. So that was kind of the... The penultimate decision, and um, and Ryan Pratt offered me a, a good scholarship, and I want to say about fifty percent of the team was was foreign from all over the place, and we had a good mixture of of the American, like either local kids or kids from all over the place. So it was a, a real great great time for me. All right, it should be no surprise that you won the national championship because if I'm reading this correctly, in 2014 you're 22 two and one, and you made it to the championship game, correct? Yes, sir. And then in 2015 you were 23 and two, and you made it to the championship game, correct? Yep. And then this year you're 23 two and one, and you made it to the championship game, and you won. Yep. So that's three amazing years. How in the world did you put this run together? Because that's 60 plus wins. Yeah, and that's uh, that's only four years of the program existing. Period. When I, me and my assistant Jen came here in November 2012 to put a team on the field by August 2013. So, and. Um, to say we had less than zero experience is being very nice to us. So, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing, nor did Jen, and, and uh, yeah, this sort of uh, amazing thing happened. Well, clearly, and I think uh, we know you're a great coach, but you obviously have great players, including the NAIA Player of the Year. Tell us her name and some of these other superstar players, please. Clara Sahinova. Uh, Clara is, you know, from the Czech Republic. She is... Uh, for me, a phenomenal player, easily a top, a top ACC Big Ten player, and we just got lucky that we were the one talking to her, and and sort of no one else was really talking to her at that point. And uh, you know, she's five foot eleven, and she reminds me of a, a female in the Dean Zidane. Wow! So she's big time, and then you also have the NAIA Outstanding Defensive Player and Hannah Baines because it takes some defense to win as well, right? Yes, definitely. Uh, yeah, and, and Hannah coming from England, you know, um, was a young kid when she came in. I think she just was turning 18, and um, she spent the first three days, I think, when she was here four years ago in, in the same clothes because she was ready to go home. Uh, so we're quite lucky <laughs> she stayed. Um, and, yeah, just grew as a player and and, um, and kind of that, Old kind of old fashioned 90s kind of soccer player from from England. In in she'll put her head where people won't put at their feet, but she also can play and she can get the ball down and she can build out the back with her. And yeah, she's 
turned into a superb player. And Camila Anderson, pretty good as well. Yeah, Camilla is, you know, everybody talks about Camilla and her goals and, and, uh, and that's what Camilla does. You know, if you look at her past, her past history for, for the Danish youth national team, she just scored goals. That's all, you know, she, that's what she's good at. She knows what to do. That's kind of fox in the box. She finds the ball and it's over. She only needs one chance and she'll, she'll take it. Well, you've scored a ton of goals, but in the championship game, you knew it was going to be a tight one against Spring Arbor. Ironically, it was your defensive star, Hannah Baines, that got the winner. And Spring Arbor's got a phenomenal history. So what went right for you to win that championship third goal around here? We got kind of lucky in our bracket went from being very difficult to having a lot of upsets. So obviously we got to be able to sort of set our stall out and go out in the first half and, and try and you know try and finish off the game if we could and, and be able to rest some players which we were lucky enough to be able to do and, um, and and then in the championship game it was more of two teams cancelling each other out what we were good at they cancelled out and what they were good at we cancelled out and then then um, then Hannah Baines pops up at the back post off of a corner and, and, and puts it in and when it went in I thought this might it be it this this is going to be a you know the way the NAIA's national tournament set up it's it's more of a gladiator fight than it is anything else because of playing those four games in five days. Stuart you made my day by telling me you've listened to almost every one of our podcasts and if you have listened then you know that uh, we love asking people how they got to where they are today when I look at your background Looks like you were in four places at the same time. You're at University of Delaware and Ryder and the Washington United Soccer Club, Director of Coaching, the Philadelphia Fever. You've done a little bit of everything. How did you know this was the right move for you? I wanted to get into college coaching ever since I figured out within the first month of what my coach did at Montevallo. And, and it took me a long time to get there. And I, I must have applied for about 2,000 jobs and probably emailed every single college coach in the country asking if I could, if they had a job or could I come and volunteer there and and, um, and this opportunity came up to build a program and um, um, believe it or not there's people who have turned this job down before me and told told my AD that you, it's not worth it, you can't win so you can't win You can't win at UNOH so they turned it down so uh, lucky enough it, it, it fell on my lap and, and I took it and, and what's happened's happened all right, and turning it back to this highly international team, I'd love to be on the other end of the line knowing that I grew up in northwestern Ohio. <laughs> what are you saying about uh, coming to my school? Because, uh, man, big-time sales job there for sure, Coach. Yeah, you know, obviously it's it's, it's not the – like I always say to, to anybody that I feel like college coaches are like uh, used car salesmen in their speech. And, and um, obviously winning helps – Winning does help, and, and we from our year one to year two, we had between you know players leaving and 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 players not getting resigned. We we probably had sixty five percent of the team leave, and then to go from losing in the conference final and PKs to losing the national championship final, um, but winning has helped you know massively. And and uh, for me, I just want to I talk more heavily on who the player that they can be and the player that I think they are and the player I want to help them become is a big thing for me. All right, another big thing is the NSCAA in conjunction with the NAIA do a pretty good job of recognizing the top coaches, and they do that usually as part of the convention. So if, in fact, they gave you the call to say, hey, you just won the NAIA Coach of the Year, can you come to Los Angeles? Will we see you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm at every convention. I love the convention. absolutely love it. What do you love most about it, Coach? Seeing other people work, I think, you know, just seeing – 
you know, different exercises. And um, I think I did my NFC uh, AA Advanced National a few years ago, and I remember I remember one of the tutors saying, you know, there's no such thing as a bad session because just change what you don't like about it. And it is so true for me. You know, it's so many people just go, I don't like that, and so dismissive of, of exercises and, and just change what you don't like about it. You know, every, all the best coaches are thieves, I think, as, as the, the motto says. And that's the thing for me. It's getting to see different people work and how different people do stuff. Well, this has been brilliant. And I got to believe since uh, you are a listener to the NSCA College Soccer Podcast, you weren't too surprised when Chad Waller and the NAIA boys said, hey, they want to talk to you. Oh yeah, it's um, it's great. You know, great to, you know, I, I used to always uh, when you guys did the YouTube show, I always used to watch that as well and and stuff. That was always great going around the the colleges and stuff that you you used to do. Wow, Stuart, I tell you what, man, whenever I'm down and not feeling so great, I'm calling you, okay? <laughs> because you you're phenomenal. I mean, you've got the same passion for college soccer that I have. And here's the deal: next time I'm in Northwestern Ohio over the holidays, although you might be over across the pond, if you're around, I'm gonna. Take that short 30-minute drive and come see you, okay? Yeah, no problem. I'll be here. I work 24-7. It sounds like you do. Thanks so much for everything you did. Congratulations on getting over the hump this year. Third year in a row. Third year is the charm. You are the NAIA national champion. Coach, thanks for being with us. Thanks a lot, Dave. Stuart Gore, what a great first guest, winning the NAIA women's title. What a job he's done in just four years, three times in the final. He gets it done this year. And how about Aaron Champanoy? Just his first year at Hastings, and he leads Hastings to the NAIA men's national championship. And how about the name? Aaron Champanoy, the champion, joins me now. Aaron, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, we joked about it before you came on the air, but uh, that name works right now, Coach. Yeah, it's, uh, it means a little bit more this year than it has in the past. How do you do it in just one year? Obviously, this team won it in 2010. They made it back in 2011. But, you know, new coach, new system, new ideas maybe. How did you get it done, Coach? Well, well you know, first we, we, we have to pay tribute to the success and the legacy that Coach Chris Cranks built here over the last seven seasons he built this program up to to a, a traditional powerhouse and I was fortunate enough to come in and, and take over for him and inherited a great group of guys and brought in a few more and you know try, try to do it with the same type of recipe that had been done in the past Hastings has been known as a blue-collar hard-working program and we we took that and ran with it 24 0 and one and that one tie came in the NAIA tournament, a penalty kick victory over Marymount, right? I mean, so essentially undefeated, what a great season. It, it was a tremendous ride. You know, the guys the guys bought into the changes that we made and and, and bought into me as a coach, you know, really, to be honest. And, and that means the world to me, and they trusted me. And I gave them everything I had every day, and in return, they did the same thing for me. And, and it was that kind of, you know, blue-collar, hard-working never quit type attitude that that got us through in the end it's that kind of attitude that kind of really sort of paints the picture of your career as well you went to bellevue in nebraska and then you started a program in houston st thomas university of st thomas talk about both stops well you know i I played at bellevue university um and uh you know we played against hastings quite a bit and actually my final game as a player was here at hastings in their stadium so i remember it uh, quite well as a player um, and, and we were never the most talented group, and I was never the most talented player. But, you know, we always went out there and we worked as hard as we could to try to balance things out as much as possible. And after playing there, I took over at Bellevue University and coached there for four years and had the pleasure of coaching against Coach Cranks a few times and uh, 
kind of always just had that mentality. Maybe it's a Midwest thing. Maybe it's a Nebraska thing. But, you know, I just always felt like any of my teams, if we were going to be successful, we needed to be extremely hardworking and training every day because we, we probably weren't going to be the most talented team on the field every week. Um, and I took that same mentality when, when I went and started the program at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. And obviously a little different demographic being in a city of 6 million people in Houston, but uh, same, same mentality just with a little bit different flair down there. Um, and, and went down there and gave it everything I had for nine seasons. And at the end of the ninth season, I figured, you know, it was, it was probably time for me to move on and, and try to, to move forward with my career. And I was blessed that Coach Cranks decided to, <laughs> to move on and take another job. And, and I had the opportunity to, to take her for him at uh, Hastings. Well, during your time in Houston, you also sprinkled in a little bit of time with the Houston Dynamo and some of their youth player development. Uh, what were you doing with the Dynamo? I was working with the pre-academy team at the time, the under-15s, um, with James Clarkson and that academy group. And it was a great experience, you know. But I figured when I went down to Houston, I wanted to surround myself with as much of the best soccer I could. And obviously in a city like Houston, you know, if you have the ability to be involved with the MLS club at any level, it's a great a great job for you. So I did that for a couple of years um, and built a good relationship with them. And I was fortunate enough to recruit some of those academy players into my programs and actually brought uh, brought a couple of them up here to Hastings with me. Well, back to this national championship team. Great coaches need great players. How about Daniel Whitehall, the 2016 NAIA National Player of the Year? Uh, he, he was tremendous. I mean, he obviously had a, a great start of the season and got out of the gate full steam ahead. And, you know, Danny's a special player. And I think coaches that have seen him play this year, it's not just the goals, which are great and obviously speak for themselves, but really his vision and his distribution and his movement off the ball and what he does um, really, I think, makes him a next-level player. You know, at the national tournament um, on the final side, he only had one goal, but he did so much work off the ball to create chances for everybody else. And we ended up with six different goal scorers at the final site. Well, a couple other players, second-team All-America Joe White, third-team All-American Mark Taltz, pretty good years as well. Joe White came in and took over for another All-American goalkeeper, um, you know, the year before with Alex Geyer, and uh, he, had, he had big shoes to fill. And uh, Hastings has always kind of been known as, as goalkeeper U, and they uh, followed up this year, and, and Joe had a great year for us. He, he wasn't called upon much, you know, during the middle of the year, but he was always good for one or two big saves a game if needed, and he helped anchor our back line, and I, I thought defensively we were really, really good this year, and he helped anchor that, that job down there. And then Mark Tots, I can't say enough about it. He's the heart and soul of our team. He's our captain. He does a lot of those little things that, you know, might not be the biggest stats, but he he intercepts and wins so many balls in Winfield and disrupts counterattacks and starts our counterattack on the other side. And, you know, I, I thought he was one of the best midfielders in the country this year and, and very easily could have been probably awarded a little bit higher. But he was he, he's been our man all year. Well, clearly, in talking to Stuart Gore, who won the women's NEAI title at Northwestern Ohio, he won it with a ton of international players that uh, actually play for their national teams as well. But my point is the quality of NEIA soccer, men and women, pretty strong, right, Coach? Uh, it's tremendous. you know. And I think anybody that goes out there and watches the top-level teams, if you come out to that, the national tournament and you watch those teams, there's some tremendous players that, that could play at any level, um, international and domestic. You know, We were fortunate enough to have my two starting outside backs this year were both from Nebraska. One was from a little town of Kearney, and one was from Lincoln, Nebraska, and they're just the epitome of blue-collar hard work. But then, you know, you sprinkle in that, that international talent with Joe White and Danny Whitehall and Mark Thoughts and those other players, and it was a good mix, you know. And 
I think the NAI um, quality of soccer probably doesn't get seen enough. Um, to be honest, it's 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 a really high level, and there's some great players out there. Now, Coach, I would probably get in a little bit of trouble if we didn't mention your counterpart with the women's program at Hastings because he is semi-Mr. NSCAA, Chris Clemens, who does so much work with the NSCAA, and this being the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast, i got to have you talk a little bit about your women's coach at Hastings. Uh, you know, Chris has been great for me, um, you know, through the interview process and trying to, you know, make sure that I – Got my feet wet and got a hold of everything as much as possible when I first got in. He he really kind of led the way for me, and he, he's been a good mentor this season for us. And he does a tremendous job with his with his women's program, and they're a, a really good group. And and he gets I think the most out of them every year. And you know he, he's a good counterpart to have here, and he's he's a great person to work with. Well, I'm pretty sure he's also going to make sure that you're in Los Angeles, perhaps to receive some hardware, but also to participate in the NSCA convention. Will you be there? We're, we're hoping to make that happen. I'm, I'm talking with Danny and a few of those guys to make sure that they maybe hold their plans of going back home to England for, for a little bit longer and can make it out there. And we want to go out there and support those guys' accomplishments and, and make sure that they, uh, you know, get the get the recognition that they deserve this year. The champ, Aaron Champanoy, perfect name, NEIA Men's Champions 2016. Thanks for uh, being with us here as part of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Thanks a lot for having me. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com. Continuing our run of talking to seven, count them, seven national championship coaches on the special championship edition of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. We're pleased to be joined by the D3 Women's National Champion Head Coach Jim Conlon, who led the University of Washington in St. Louis to that title. This, after a couple runner-up finishes in the last several years, now you get to bring home that championship trophy. You must feel pretty good, Jim. It does. It definitely feels pretty good. You know, we're excited for the entire Washington University community to embrace this accomplishment. We're happy to represent the university. Second place in 2009, second place last year. How did both of those opportunities, and of course you've been in the NCAA tournament every year since you've arrived there as well, how did those opportunities prepare you to win it all this year? Each year, you learn a little bit more about how to succeed, uh, whether you're in the Final Four or whether it's just the regular season. And we tried taking some lessons to our girls, and and, uh, this year it was just about sticking together. Um, regardless of what happened. A year ago, we got down one nothing in the semis and battled back to 1-1 uh, against Messiah. This year, we happened to get Messiah down one nothing and they battled back. So really just sticking together and, and trying to find a way to play to the best of your abilities. Tell everybody what makes Washington U in St. Louis such a special place, not just for soccer, but for everything. We're just trying to hold our students to a high standard of excellence, whether that's in community service, whether that's academically, in research, uh, and in our case, athletically. And I think when, when you set standards high, then these students look to achieve high. And, and for us in athletics, we obviously get to uh, coach student athletes, and, and but we challenge them to be scholar champions. You know, you just look at uh, Lizzie Christ, our goalkeeper, who is a – 
uh, first team COSIDA academic All American and now a first team NSCA All American. So, you know, we're really trying to just challenge them to be the best they can be um, academically and athletically and, and achieve scholar champion status. Let's talk about your path. You played collegiate soccer at Loris College, correct? I did. Talk about that time. Uh, Loris was a great fit for me. Um, you know, coming out of Chicago, growing up, going to a, a small Catholic school, it was just a great fit. Eric Johnson was a great coach. Got to meet a, a lifelong friend and teammate and now coach Dan Rothert. Uh, and most importantly, I met my wife there. So Loris College was a great fit for me. A lot of battles uh, in the Iowa Conference for, for conference championships. And I'd like to think those those teams in the late 90s really were able to kind of propel uh, Loris to what it is today. They've had some very good success on both the men's and the women's side recently. Well, you speak of men and women. You were the first full-time soccer coach at Wartburg, which I believe is in Waverly, Iowa, and you did that from 2000 to 2007 coaching both teams. That is correct. I had the unique situation of watching my head coach, Eric Johnson, uh, at Loris start the women's program at Loris. Uh, he was actually the director of the physical education department, the head men's tennis coach, and now the head men's and women's soccer coach. So after I finished graduate school, the Warburg job was open. It was close to where my family or my wife grew up. And so we went over there. Um, and, and it was just a way of trying to make a family even bigger, having the, the men and women of Warburg really rally around each other to try and create something special. I think our winning percentage drastically increased. We were fortunate to have both teams in the NCAA tournament uh, by the time I left. And, and there were some tremendous, tremendous people at Warburg that we loved working with, and, and they, they definitely made that program better. So you start that program. You're coaching both teams. How did the call come down to switch it up and go to St. Louis at Wash U? Warburg and Waverly, Iowa had some amazing people, some amazing friends. I'm thrilled that Tiffany Pins is running the women's program and Kirk Hart is running the men's program now, both alums that coach or played for me at Warburg. Um, but Washington University is a special place. You know, my goal as a coach is to try and make sure that our men and women at the time at Warburg and now women here at WashU have a, have a place that they really feel they can graduate and move themselves on to the next phase of their life and have a chance of winning championships. And, and, and WashU was a great place. At that time, my two little ones were young, and to, to only have to coach one team, I got to spend a little bit more time as a father. So all of that combination just kind of led to uh, Mr. Shale offering me a job, and I was humbled enough to accept it. Do you have enough coming back to perhaps repeat next year, Coach? What are your thoughts? Well, I think we've got some great talents coming back. Obviously, we're going to lose a few pieces, uh, but I think we lose a few pieces every year. So I'm excited about the group we've got coming back, um, but we're going to wait off until January to really start putting it on paper and seeing what they look like. But uh, I think we've got a lot of pieces coming back, and I don't know if uh, repeating is always uh, the, the forefront. I think making the best run we can and, and fulfilling our potential, if that leads to a repeat, Great, but the one thing we do know is we don't necessarily have to defend this trophy because no one can take it away from us. We're excited about getting in there with that 2017 group and seeing how much potential we can get out of them. Speaking of fulfilling potential, St. Louis, not too far from Kansas City, home of the NSCAA. What has that organization meant to you and your development? Oh, the NSCAA has been fantastic. Going through 
their coaching courses as a younger coach and then staying involved with various committees, trying to be a, a regular participant of the annual convention just to really understand and, and, and keep honing the craft. I mean, you can never stop learning as a coach, ever. And so, you know, the NSA has been able to put together great educational models, whether it's through the journal, whether it's through the convention, and then uh, most importantly, just a lot of colleagues that I deal with on email, phone, text, quite a bit all over the country. Um, you know, that, that NSCA kind of links us together and just being able to brainstorm. And sometimes when we're out recruiting, uh, it's not necessarily an NSCA event, but because of those links and colleagues and friendships, you know, you grab a cup of coffee and really, really enjoy some of these conversations of trying to make our game better for all of these uh, NCA student-athletes to, to achieve. Finally, the NSCA does a great job talking about the importance of assistant coaches, a chance for a quick shout-out for your staff. Randy and T are in their first years with us, and I think they've just done a fantastic job. Uh, we had a great staff in the past with, with Caitlin, Steph, and Amalia. You know, This year we brought in two rookies. Randy has been with the NSCA at one point when she was – finishing up her college ranks over there in Kansas City, but it, it has just been fantastic to have them, and, and you know they're both young, eager, uh, and, and going to be in this game for a long time. Jim Collin, a national champion coach, one of seven on the program today. Coach, thanks for being a part of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Thanks for having me. Just finishing up his seventh season as head coach of the Tufts men's soccer program, Josh Shapiro has now directed the Jumbos to two national championships in the last three years, including when the program's first ever NCAA championship in 2014. Shapiro was selected as the National Coach of the Year by the NSCAA that year, and he could most likely win it again this year. Coach, thanks for being with us. Uh, no problem. Happy to chat. Coach, two national championships in the last three years. That's clean living, Coach. Things are going well. Yes, they are. Um, we're, we're thrilled to be in the position we're in. Taking some some good hard work to get here, but uh, our young men are doing everything we've asked of them and, and putting us in great positions to, to have some success. So, you know, thrilled to be where we're at without question. All right, Coach, what about this year and this team and this run? Tell us about your team. You won six games, only gave up one goal, and then knocked off John Lowry's St. Thomas team in the semis and Ryan Souter's Calvin team to win it all. Just an absolutely incredible run. I, I think what stands out is, is their sort of resilience their mental toughness and, and their sort of desire collectively to, to try to be excellent defensively every time out. We recognized early on that we weren't going to be prolific offensively. You know, we worked on that all the time, tried to get better, tried to create chances, and, and, uh, but we were never that efficient in front of goal. Um, so I think, you know, the back four and, and really the back six with the two holding mids um, recognized pretty early on that they might carry the load a little bit and uh, really embrace that and then you know, frankly, from the front, everyone was willing to work and defend, and, and then we had great depth. I think those were absolute keys in, in, in the team's success. Outstanding breakdown. Let's get to know you a little bit better. You're from New Jersey. You're a 97 graduate of Middlebury College, where you were a four-year letterman and captain as a senior, and you played on three NCAA tournament teams, including two that advanced the round of 16. So i got to believe your time as a player and making it far in the NCAA tournament was key to maybe your decision to become a coach? Tell us it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, um, frankly, my experience you know, playing under Dave Stewart at Middlebury had a lot to do with shaping my desire to, to be a, a, a coach and a college coach. And, you know, if you look at his coaching tree, there's a lot of us out there. And I think that really speaks to, to what he taught us about the 
college game and, and you know, the joy and, and the uh, fun and, and great times that you're going to have, you know, sort of competing together and doing the work and, and being around your teammates. So I've heard a lot of my desire to, to be a coach, to coach Sayward, and, you know, to really teaching me the game in terms of the value of team and, and how important it is that that group really cares about each other and wants to work together. Because I think what stood out for me about my middle career was that we always were just super fired up to be training. Let's go. Like, we can't wait till 4 o'clock so we can get out there together and, and compete and work and, and, and enjoy our soccer. Coming up later on this program, we'll talk to University of North Carolina head coach Carlos Samuano, who was an assistant coach for 17 years, 17 before getting the top job. You also put some time in as an assistant coach. Actually, at the D1 level, you coached under Brian Weiss at Georgetown from 2006 to 2009. You also had stints at American University, George Mason University, and Lafayette College from 2003 to 2005. You remember the 2005 Patriot League regular season champs at American and part of the 2003 Patriot League champions and NCAA tournament participants at Lafayette. Carlos talked about putting in that time. Why was that important to uh, work under those great coaches at the D1 level? Oh, it was incredibly important, you know, and I think, you know, the the, the way Division One works, especially, you know, in comparison to the NETSCAT, where we have restricted access to our guys, is you were able to be, you know, all in 10 months a year working with guys, working with the program, um, trying to develop mental qualities, physical qualities, um, soccer qualities, tactics, team concepts, recruiting, you were, you you know, you were able to really sort of be invested um, with intensity on a, on a daily basis. And I think that's something we've tried to carry over into our staff here. But I think, um, you know, the opportunity to work with a bunch of different coaches, I wouldn't have put my path to be in one place for a year and then moving and then moving, but that was sort of the time in my life where my wife and I were sort of chasing each other around the country and, and dictated the moves. But I think the benefit is that I worked under some great coaches who went about their trade in different ways. So I learned some, some really great things from Coach Bond at Lafayette, uh, my American experience with George Mason, I mean, you know, Todd West was excellent and, and Fran O'Leary was excellent at George Mason. And then I, you know, I really uh, molded a lot about how I try to go about running my program and organizing myself on a daily basis from Brian Weiss, who, you know, I think is an outstanding coach and a great mentor to me down at Georgetown. So all those guys had a big influence on, on shaping how we go about emphasizing certain, certain things in our program, certain things in our daily basis in training. Um, preparing our team, you know, from a mental mental approach. So uh, it was a huge benefit to have those experiences under some incredibly successful coaches. So seven years now at Tufts. Take us back seven, eight years ago when you heard about the job opening. What went down? Well, effectively, you know, I, I was starting to get to the point where I felt like I was I was ready to run a program, um, and I'd given a lot of thought to, you know, what kind of places I wanted to be. And, and the tug of coming back to kind of an, an elite Division three environment with, with great academics was really a draw, you know, and, and I think, you know, my Middlebury experience um, still sort of left the, the best taste in my mouth for what, what a college experience should be, and, and when an opportunity opened up um, in the NESCAC at a school that I felt, you know, could become a, a real, really, really strong program, um, you know, I, I wanted to, to jump on that, and it was, it was interesting because um, initially I did not get the job. Um, it was offered to uh, a different coach, um, and I was extremely disappointed. And then um, Carl Juno, who got the job, was then offered the job at Harvard uh, when Jamie Clark left for Creighton. Um, so it was a bit of a wild summer that summer. I got a call kind of late July. I'm on vacation in Hills of Pennsylvania with no reception, and Bill Galing, the idiot, Tufts, was trying to get a hold of me, and 
we don't know what's going on. And, and uh, all of a sudden, I have a job offer at Tufts, and I think we were just kind of getting settled into uh, life in D.C. and, and uh, figuring out what was going to be the next step there. But now, all of a sudden, Tufts was back on the table, and, and uh, I was incredibly excited. I think it made the, the move of, of life, you know, up to Tufts sort of two weeks before the season a lot more stressful. But regardless, I thought I was I was going to a great situation and really thrilled to get the opportunity. And we've been kind of building what we felt was a, you know, kind of a sleeping giant for for a long time. And, and we're really excited to get the chance to come to Tufts, be in the Boston area, and um, get things rolling. Well, certainly the giant has woken as well, and the AD, your your athletic staff, they must be pleased with two national championships in the last three years, Coach. I hope so. You know, <laughs> uh, it doesn't happen very often, but I think one of the really cool things about Tufts is, you know, when I win my first national championship, I can uh, look straight across the hall at uh, Mike Daly, who's the head lacrosse coach at the time, and, and ask him exactly what it's like to try and repeat because he had just won his third. And down the hall, three doors to my left was was Cheryl, who, who, would, who was the head coach of our women's uh, softball team, and she just won three in a row. So there's, you know, there's really a, a great tide of, of great team athletic stuff going on in Tufts right now, and some great young coaches and people you can reference and talk about, and, and uh, it's a little bit infectious, the kind of attitude. Uh, we can go and get it, and we can compete at the national stage, and, and uh, it's a really kind of great energy about the department right now. All right, so you grew up in New Jersey. You spent time in the D.C. area, obviously with Georgetown and American and George Mason. But now your wife Amy, your children Ben, Sophie, and Evan live in nearby Winchester, Mass. Have you converted all the way to all the New England teams? What's going on there, Coach? No, no. <laughs> but um, my son's a front runner, so it's it's pretty easy. Like he's all about Tom Brady and, and the Patriots. Um, you know. Uh, I, I, I was a diehard Yankee fan growing up. I, I was afraid to put my kids in, in Yankee hats for fear of getting beaten up on the bus. <laughs> Pretty nice neighborhood, but you never know around here. Um, I, I can drink Dunkin' Donuts. I, I've made that adjustment. Um, but my wife still goes seeking Starbucks. It's harder to do up here. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a great sports town, and um, it's been a fun community to be involved in. Um, we've got great friends who, um, you know, are willing to hang out with me despite my Yankee sort of affiliation. Which is nice, um, and you know, I, but I can't really say anything about the Jets right now. It's, uh, it's tough times. <laughs> yeah, it is indeed tough times, uh, but certainly not tough times at Tufts. Uh, Coach, thanks for being with us here on our championship podcast as part of the NSCA College Soccer Podcast. Uh, Dean, thanks, thanks so much for the time. It's a pleasure to chat with you guys, and, and I think it's a great thing that you're doing and, and getting some uh, college coaches the platform to be heard around the country. So appreciate the time, and uh, thanks again. The 2017 NSCAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com. From NAIA championship coaches to D3 championship coaches, now we move to D2 championship coaches, and we start again with the women at the D2 side, the Western Washington Vikings are your women's D2 champions, and Travis Canal is your head coach back on the program. He said he would be if they win the championship, and here he is. Travis, you are the champion of D2 women. How's that sound? (laughs) 
sounds really good. We've been working at it for a long time, and we're really excited about it. Well, indeed you have. I mean, just last year you were in the semifinals. I think 2013 you were in the semifinals, so knocking on the door, but now you get to close it with that championship trophy. Yep. No, they've. Uh, it's been a, a great, uh, a great run. Even before that, kids have, in our program have contributed to this and passed down things to the next class, and that's happened over and over again. And, and it's culminating here in, in this championship. Well, you remember what it was like as a player. You won a national championship as a player at Seattle Pacific, and it's a special time for these young athletes, these young women. Oh, definitely. You know, I. I uh, that's probably my favorite part about it is is watching the celebration and just seeing the pure joy on the kids' faces. They work so hard. They've got so much on their plate with school and sports and jobs and everything else going on in their lives. Uh, they're so disciplined in the way they approach things. And then just to see that elation uh, when, it, when it all happens for them uh, in the national championship, that was probably my favorite part uh, of the day. Look, it's not supposed to be easy to win a tournament, but, man, your path was so difficult. UC San Diego, you won 2-1 in overtime. The Colorado School of Mines, we talked to their head coach on this program. You blitzed them 5-1, to and then Coots down. We also talked to their head coach 3 nothing, and then Grand Valley State, all Jeff Hostler did in his first two years is win back-to-back champions they probably thought they had three in a row, and you beat them three to two. Talk about that run. Yeah, the uh, I mean, it was, and that's what prepares you, I think. When you play against good teams, it prepares you. You just get into a mode where you have to be your best uh, each time you step on the field. It kind of trains you to be that way, and, and uh, I've always said, Playing against good teams brings out the best in your team, and, and that's certainly what happened in the tournament uh, this year for us. You win the championship. You bring the team in. They're huddled around you. Show us uh, some Travis Canal magic. What would you say to your team? <laughs> I just No magic. I just said I was proud of them, uh, and that they should enjoy this because they deserve every bit of it. Uh, it was uh, it was just a wonderful a wonderful celebration after after we won the championship. Here's the great thing, though. I talked to you earlier in the week to set up this call, and I said, "Hey, what do you got coming back?" And you're like, "We got a lot coming back, Dean." Yeah, we we do. We're, we're excited. I mean, uh, there was uh, the goal scorer that won the national championship for us with a free kick at the end. She's only a junior, Emily, and she's a great story. She's from Bellingham, our, our the town that the college is in, and grew up literally you know, a 10-minute walk from campus and grew up watching this team play over the years, and then she's able to win the national championship for them on a free kick. It's kind of a storybook thing for her, and she comes back for her senior year, and and uh, our player of the year in our conference is our center back, Sierra. She's back next year. So we've got, you know, cupboard still got some dishes in it. <laughs> well, and you coached the men for a while as well. We talked about that when you visited with us earlier in the NSCA College Soccer Podcast season. But why do you enjoy coaching the women so much, Coach? I enjoy the way they think about the game. You know, I mean, when things are going wrong, when uh, adversity hits or, or the game plan is out the window, they work the problem. You know, uh, they they try to figure out solutions and adjust their game. And uh, I, I enjoy that about it. Um, and, and they also buy in. I mean, there's so much buy-in to to the season and uh, and so much belief and I think that's really maybe the the most important thing we had this year was belief anytime you 
you are attempting to knock off a three-time defending champion, you've got to have belief on your side. Um, and uh, they had a lot of that belief in themselves and belief in, in their teammates. You already told us what a dream it is to work in Bellingham, how beautiful it is. The view from your office, I can picture it. Yes, I'm jealous. And then you mentioned that you're a huge Seattle Sounders fan. Why wouldn't you be? You won a championship. The Seattle Sounders playing in their first MLS Cup. How about that double, Coach? I think it's meant to be. It's a, it's a <laughs> destiny here. I'll tell you what, it's a great area for soccer, no doubt, uh, as everybody kind of admires what's going on in that area. And we're going to admire what you did at Western Washington. Congrats on being the D2 Women's National Champion, Coach. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So for the first time in Wingate University history, the Bulldogs are NCAA Division II National Champions. That's any sport, men or women. Top-ranked Wingate got a pair of goals from All-American John Ander from Spain last weekend and route to a 2-0 victory over fourth-ranked University of Charleston, West Virginia in the NCAA Men's Soccer National title match. Wingate ends its historic season at 19-1 overall, while the Golden Eagles finished at 19-3-2. Now, Wingate University held a victory celebration Tuesday in Cuddy Arena, honoring the school's first-ever NCAA National Championship team, as well as their conference, the Southern Athletic Conference's first national championship. And to join us now, the 25-year head coach of the men's program at Wingate, Gary Hamill. And, Gary, thanks for being with us. Oh, it was a complete pleasure to be here this morning. Thank you. Well, tell us about that celebration on Tuesday at Cuddy Arena. Oh, absolutely phenomenal support that we have gotten from the university over the last couple of weeks. Student body was incredible. You know, our, it's nice to see our gym packed and a standing ovation for the, the boys coming in. It was just, um, I think it was my first realization that we actually had won this thing. <laughs> well, as we told our listeners several weeks ago when we had you on the program, you're the director of soccer and men's head soccer coach. This is your 25th year as the head men's soccer coach. Previously, you served the university as associate AD and head coach for women's soccer as well. You're the winningest coach in the history of men's soccer at Wingate, but perhaps no win bigger than one you just had, right, Coach? I would, no way. Couldn't top that one. Couldn't top that one. B- biggest win of my career. Well, two of those wins came in Kansas City, Missouri, the Swope Soccer Park, where your Bulldogs beat John Pascal's UC San Diego team 2-0, and then met Chris Grassi's Charleston, West Virginia team and beat them by the same score. The Bulldogs also beat Bob Riasso's Pfeiffer team, last year's national champion, 1-0, and Tampa 1-0 in the tournament. So the story throughout the tournament has been your incredible defense. You didn't allow a single goal. No, didn't allow a single goal in the entire NCAA tournament. And I think that's the first in any division. So, you know, the old cliche, the defense wins the championships. I mean, we certainly um, are going to stand by that this year. The Bulldog defense anchored by Alex Nelson along with fellow All-American Damian Gaona. Is that how you say his name, from Chile? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. And all-region selection Vicente Munoz, also from Chile, did not allow a goal in the final 534 minutes of the season while leading the nation with incredible .40 goals against average. And Wingate, as we said, did not allow multiple goals in any game this year, collecting 12 shutouts, including the five NCAA tournaments. Four of those shutouts came against top 15 teams. So what is it about uh, your coaching that makes your defense so tough? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you should give me all the pleasure or, or the credit of it. I, I think the, the four or five young men back there have gelled very, very well over the last two years together. And 
outstanding relationship on and off the field. It's just a credit to them. Well, last time you were on, you also talked about uh, the incredible support you have from your coaching staff. I'll let you say those names and what they meant to your national championship run. I'll start with um, Joey Calandra, Sean Utterson, Sean Gatsby. And, again, I couldn't have done it without them. I mean, Joey has been the, our goalkeeping, top goalkeeping assistant throughout the year and obviously is the top assistant in the program. I mean, Sean has kept the boys ticking over on a daily basis has done multiple scouting reports and, you know, can't thank him enough because I think he knew the opposition more than they knew themselves. You know, and then the young Sean Gatsby has been our little um, go-between between the staff and the players because, you know, he's obviously only a year out from um, playing with them. So all three of them, top-class individuals. All right, 25th year, as we said, as the head coach for the men's team at Wingate. Now you win the first-ever national championship. You're not going to go Peyton Manning or John Elway on us, are you, Coach? <laughs> no, sir. I would like to share with you that my 21, Damien Gaona, when he hugged me after the final whistle, said, I hope you're not going anywhere. Uh, so I've made a guarantee to him I'm not. All right, outstanding. As uh, That probably also means we'll see you, I hope, in – Los Angeles at the NSCA convention where I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you got more hardware. Are you going to be out there? Yes, sir. I wouldn't miss it. I will be there. All right. Congratulations to Wingate. I say let's keep the party going for the rest of the week at least. What do you think, Coach? Uh, we might as well. We'll do a few exams here and there in finals and just keep on rolling. Speaking of partying, you dropped Alan Dawson and Barry Gorman and some big names uh, last time you were on as part of people that have, some people that brought you over here. Have you heard from any of those guys? I have heard from them. I've heard from them um, constantly throughout the weekend in, in Kansas City. So, I mean, my, my brotherhood from East Belfast is still in touch. Outstanding. Congrats on your national champion, the first ever for Wingate, any sport. Way to go, Bulldogs, and way to go, Gary Hamill. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me on this morning. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game. It's the championship coach edition of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. We've already talked to six national championship coaches. And last week, we talked to the very talented Kadani McAlpine, the head coach of USC, the women of Troy, who just won the College Cup D1 women's style. He was on last week. We said, hey, if you win it, you got to come back. And here he is. Kadani, congratulations. Thanks so much. It, it was uh, quite the ride and a lot of fun. All right, let's uh, go through it. Semifinal on Friday, the championship on Sunday. Talk first about your semifinal matchup on Friday, Coach. Uh, semifinal, I thought... Georgetown jumped on us early. Um, we didn't get into rhythm at all. I thought you could see some of the nerves. But as the game settled in, I thought we improved throughout. They dominated the, the midfield at the beginning. And in the second half, we, we made a minor adjustment that I thought opened the game up, got our mids a little bit more organized. And, and then uh, Katie scored that unbelievable goal with, you know, with the first touch, Morgan's entry pass, and what a, what a great finish. So uh, that, was, that was awesome. Okay, so what did you do after that game? How did you prepare for the championship game against a very good and number one team in the country, West Virginia? Well, we, we tried to uh, keep the team very, very light. We, we didn't want them to get too up, uptight. We didn't want them to be stressed about the moment. And to their credit, they enjoyed themselves. We, we danced. We sang. We kept music on in practice. We didn't do a whole lot differently. 
um, we we just kind of went out and they did a lot of recovery on on the Friday night and Saturday morning, um, and then we got our training in in the afternoon and it was it was really more slightly organizational, but and, and showing them a couple places that we wanted to try to find gaps and space in the game to attack them and and organizing defensively on, on a couple of things and then we just went out and played because uh, we knew they were. Absolutely fantastic, but we were confident in the fact that our schedule had prepared us for a game like that. Yeah, that was a wild game, you know. I mean, certainly West Virginia had more shots, but you guys took advantage of your opportunities. Three goals in a championship game, that doesn't happen every day, Coach. No, not at all. We had watched West Virginia, you know, quite thoroughly throughout the year, almost as a fan, watching the things that they were doing. And, and they, they, they bring such great pressure. It was imperative. It was unbelievable. It was very uh, timely to score in that first two minutes and kind of get them you know, it woke up the beast a little bit, but it, it was great for us because they hadn't been behind that much in the season at all. I don't know if ever. So they had to chase the game a bit, which was which was great um, because they're already such a, a great attacking team. They had to come out and, and attack us. But to be fair, we, we held on for that last 20 minutes with everything we could. And then at the half, tried to settle them back down and try to remind them of the things that gave us success. Made some adjustments on, on the way we defended the flanks. The, the more aggressive they got, and I thought they expended a lot of energy trying to get back into the game, but the more aggressive they got, they, they isolated themselves and left themselves 2v2 in the back, which ultimately allowed Katie and, and Leah to, to find that, that game-winning goal. Okay, so you win the championship. What's the first thing you did? I mean, who who did you run to? Who did you hug? What were you thinking? Take us to that moment. Honestly, it was, it was right there on the bench hugging the staff. Now, Jay Jen and I have been there for been together for five years now. Our time at Washington State and and at SC, and the, that was that was where I first went. Um, and then obviously going to to uh, acknowledge West Virginia and how how wonderful they were. But af- after we kind of got into it a bit, I had some of my college teammates there. Went over, saw them. Pretty amazing the support um, I had. Former player that played played uh, for Karen and myself at at Auburn. I had. Parents from our team at, at Washington State, our, our practice players, um, our guys, they were there. I had to make sure to acknowledge them. And then, of course, the current parents and whatnot. And then um, my family, my, my brother-in-law, my niece uh, were there. My sister had to, to be away on work. But um, it was it was great, the support we had. Okay, so since arriving back in Los Angeles, how's the reception been? i got to believe that the athletic department is uh, super happy they hired this coach from Alabama. Uh, it was top-notch, it was top-notch. There was a group that met the, met the team when they got back to campus. Um, we, have, we had a, a little luncheon for, for ourselves yesterday. Um, Thursday there's going to be a, a, a celebration on campus. But uh, the hard part is we're in finals. Um, so as much as, as much as we really want to celebrate, they had to lock in and, and keep competing for a while. All right. So we talked about it last week, but third year, just your third year on the job at Southern Cal. And I know that the time at Washington State made you very aware of what was going on in Trojan land. But, I mean, just the third year, and you've already got a national championship coach, it's pretty amazing. It's unbelievable. We, we, knew, there was, we knew there was some talent. Um, we knew, based on, based on our time at Washington State, kind of, what we felt like the league was like, what we what we thought the, the overall landscape of the NCAA was in terms of, you know, obviously you got to get lucky to make a run and whatnot, but the goal was to have some experiences in the second year, which we did, making it to the Sweet 16. And, and ultimately, I think that game versus Virginia is where our team truly started to believe in themselves um, and set the table for this year. And uh, 
it, it with the transfers again, timely transfers, the right transfers, um, with with the players that were already here, continuing to grow and learn and pick up the things that we're trying to do. I think was almost just as important as the personalities that came in. We just rode the wave of confidence. This team believed from day one. They set the goal. They talked about it all here. They weren't shamed. They weren't ashamed to talk about it. They weren't afraid to talk about it. Yeah, we had our bumps and, and bruises along the way, but but I think it was that togetherness, that unity, and belief that ultimately allowed us to, to win that game on Sunday. All right, Coach, so what about some other goals? Because more and more U.S. soccer over the years has gone to successful college coaches to coach some of their youth national team programs on the women's side. Have you thought about that at all or status quo? What are you thinking right now, Coach? Because I feel like there's going to be some doors opening for you. Uh, right now, it's status quo. That's that's not uh, that's not up, up to me to decide. If the opportunities come along, of course, I'll I'll, I'll take a good listen and evaluate where I am and what I'm doing and, and all those things. But uh, I'm I'm very happy being right where I am and and recruiting players. And uh, we've got some great young talent coming in to join us, and we we feel good about the character of the people and the, the talent of the people joining us. And we're just going to try to keep growing. We we recognize how difficult. Um, it is to, to, to win a national title, and um, the work will have to continue again. We we are prepared and, and uh, excited about starting the work again in uh, in January, and and we we uh, we just gonna try to keep building it. It's it's been an unbelievable first three years, but we uh, we said all along we didn't want it to be something that came and went. We wanted to be sustainable and. Uh, we feel like we've got some great people to help us do that. Right here, right now, right there in Los Angeles. You talk about going to work in January. The NSCA is going to be going to work in Los Angeles as well. you got to tell me, Kadani, that you're going to be walking around through the halls at the NSCA convention. Please tell me you're going to be there because it's in your backyard. I'm definitely going to be there, definitely going to be involved. Um, working with the organization committee right now to get um, our team there and, and at least stuffing some bags and doing some things, so... Uh, we will definitely be there and, and involved. All right. I hope to see you there and spend more time with you. You are the national champion, Women's Division One, Kadani McAlpine, a true success story. Congratulations. Thanks so much, Steve. Really appreciate it. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. Please be joined once again by Rob Keel, the Director of College Programs for the NSCAA. And Rob, here we are in December with only three games remaining in the college season and certainly must be satisfying for you to think about how your idea of the NSCA hosting a podcast became a reality. Yes, Dean, from idea or what I like to call vision to reality is always satisfying. And the podcast certainly reflects the NSCA's commitment to the college game and finding a new platform to provide exposure at the landscape of television and webcasting change significantly over the recent years. So it has been very satisfying. Oh, it's been so much fun. And you mentioned landscape changes. Can you talk a bit about the landscape changes that prompted the thought to launch a podcast? Sure. Prior to 2005, college soccer had minimal TV exposure. And through the energy and leadership of Maryland coach Sasha Sarovsky, who brought a pretty ambitious idea to the NSCA and then Executive Director Jim Sheldon's administration, the fantastic partnership with Fox Soccer Channel was born, 
partnership that enjoyed a run of eight years on the Soccer Destination Channel. And it was a partnership that presented the signature NSCA College Soccer Game of the Week broadcast from coast to coast for the 12 weeks of each regular season. That partnership ended after the 2012 season when Fox discontinued the Fox Soccer Channel. And then for two years, we continued with the webcast version of the Game of the Week through 2014. As mentioned, the landscape for TV and webcasting college soccer changed significantly over the years. And with the emergence of conference TV packages and schools doing their own webcasts, the NSCA, we decided that being the conduit for bringing visibility to college game was considered no longer essential. Uh, however, with our discontinuing the broadcast world of college soccer, my thought was to find a new platform to tell the story of college soccer, as the NSCA has done so well for decades. And in discussing this with two of my sons, both of them who are uh, or were Bill Simmons and now still Tony Kornheiser podcast fans, they suggested a podcast. And that's when I thought, Eureka, that's it. And let's get Dean Linky to be the host. I presented the idea to our CEO, Lynn Bernling Manuel, in July. And in her visionary way, she harnessed the energies of our staff. And here we are in December now with a history of scores, meaning many coach interviews, weekly highlights from all divisions, and certainly very interesting insights into the college game. Gosh, thank goodness, Rob. I'm so grateful. As I must say, this podcast has been extremely satisfying. When it's all over, we'll have talked to more than 100 coaches in this first year. And as you know, through all the miles you and I covered over the NSCA television years, and they were great, I love to tell the story of college soccer and the NSCAA. And 2016 and the new podcast platform has continued to fan that flame indeed. So, Rob, thanks for that breakdown of the NSCA broadcast history and the podcast idea. And as you mentioned, fanning the flame, we just completed a weekend of fiery national championship competition and now prepare for the Division I Men's College Cup weekend where four teams continue their climb with each having hopes of being the last team standing and smiling with their flame burning brightly after ascending to the championship heights of college soccer in Houston. But before we get to Houston, let's take a look at last week and particularly at the Division I Women's College Cup that you attended in San Jose. Well, last week was terrific. For me, it started out attending the NCAA Division II banquet in Kansas City where we recognized NCAA All-America players participating in the Final Four. I then went to San Jose for the Division I Women's College Cup, introduced the NSCA All-America group that was playing the semifinals and Mac Herman Award semifinalists at their banquet and then attended the exciting games. In the first game, North Carolina and West Virginia faced off with the Mountaineers applying most of the offensive pressure against a staunch Tar Heel defense. And their efforts finally paid off in the 74th minute with Michaela Baum delivering a world-class left-footed goal into the top right corner after separating from her defender in the box with a really silky cut-behind move. It appeared that the goal might be enough to seal the win, and eventually it was, but a persistent North Carolina had two clear chances in the waning moments of regulation that could have pushed the game to overtime. In the second game, Georgetown against Southern California, this game opened with the Hoyas firing out of the gate with some energetic attacks that the Trojans weathered while they were settling into the game. Most of the game was played between the 18s with solid defense at both ends, stifling efforts to find the goal. And this until the 60th minute when USC's Katie Johnson, 
who, by the way, competed for Mexico in the Rio Olympics. She took a pass in the box with her back to the goal, rolled her defender and struck a crisp left footer past the Georgetown keeper, Ariel Schechtman, for the game winner. Both matches were really excited on Friday night. They were up and down the field, and the fans were certainly treated to an evening of entertainment, entertaining soccer. Sunday's final was a story of contrast and opportunity, with West Virginia applying consistent pressure for 90 minutes, but had to because for most of the game they were chasing the lead that was built by USC in the second minute from an All-American Mac Herman Award semifinalist Morgan Andrews goal from a corner kick sequence. From the chase, West Virginia finally leveled the score in the 66th minute from an excellent Ashley Lawrence goal. Lawrence, also a Mac Herman semifinalist, but then relinquished the lead again the 75th minute on a counterattack goal by the tournament's offensive MVP, Katie Johnson, who then iced the game in the 87th with a final goal. Both of her goals were a combination of significant composure and skill, and again, it was a very good display of soccer. Persistent pressure was West Virginia's theme in the game, putting up 21 shots. Their efforts to score were consistently denied through the stout play of USC defense, anchored by All-American Mandy Freeman and the tournament's defensive MVP, Sammy Joe Perdome, whose eight saves on nine shots put on goal and these were enough to secure the Trojan their second national championship in their second trip to the College Cup. Incredible work by their coach as well, Kadani McAlpine, who also was on this program. And certainly sounds like the Women's College Cup met the expectations for excitement and entertainment and what was a terrific representation of women's college soccer. What about the men's side, Rob, in which there were four quarterfinal games where the outcomes could have produced, as you mentioned in last week's podcast, an ACC tournament phase two for the Division I Men's College Cup, or three outsiders could crash the Final Four party and qualify for Houston. Let's take a look at how that turned out. Yeah, as you know, the quarterfinals each year tend to be some of the most exciting games of the year, and this year was no exception. As with the games being played on campuses before going to the neutral location for the College Cup, many home fans get their final chance to see their team play in a live setting. And overflow cloud, crowds did exactly that last weekend at Clemson, North Carolina, Wake Forest, and Louisville to an average of 3,700 in attendance at each game. And at Clemson, Denver became the first party crasher, going into historic Riggs Field in a game that did not produce many offensive fireworks, and they found a goal in the 89th minute from Courtney Ford to punch their ticket to Houston. Also on Friday at North Carolina, over 4,000 came out to see the final game played on Fetzer Field before the stadium undergoes renovation, and the fans were rewarded with a 1-0 victory with the Tar Heels outlasting the pesky Providence Friars, again aided by exceptional play by goalkeeper Colin Miller. But it was not enough, as even his deflecting a 102nd-minute shot off the foot of Drew Murphy could not keep the ball from crossing the goal line, and North Carolina sealed its second overtime win in the tournament. Having previously come from behind against Florida Gulf Coast to get the game winner in the 106th minute, of the second overtime on November 20th. In Winston-Salem on Saturday, Wake Forest had another dominating performance against a stubborn ACC foe, Virginia Tech, but it took until the 80th minute to produce a goal from Ima Tuomasi, 
who followed that with a second at 81-46 to provide the cushion and shut down the game, ushering the Deacons to a fifth College Cup appearance. Wake has quietly, as you've seen, run off a 12-game unbeaten streak and appears to be in strong position to compete for a second national title in Houston, with their first being in 2007. The final game of the weekend produced a second-party crasher, and that being reigning national champion Stanford going to Louisville to claim a 2-0 victory, being opportunistic by getting their two second-half goals off only six shots, with the game-winner being scored again by Foster Langsdorf in the 66th minute. For Stanford, a return to the College Cup in the post-Jordan Morris era is a satisfying accomplishment particularly after starting the season at 3-2-3 and in their first eight games. And then they got on a roll, got some traction, and they're now 11-1-1 in their last 13 contests. So it was a very competitive and exciting weekend Division I men's college soccer with teams from three conferences qualifying to continue the climb to the heights in Houston. And I'm very excited to get to Houston tomorrow to start the party. Well, it'll be a great party, and uh, on our first show, we talked to Jeremy Gunn at Stanford. We talked to Jamie Franks at Denver about midway through. A few weeks later, we talked to Bobby Muse, who was at Denver before going back to Wake Forest. And we got the elusive Carlos Samuano coming up after this interview with you. So that means all four College Cup coaches were on the program. Same for the women as well. So we know the last team standing, Rob. What should we be looking for in Houston? First of all, I would like to compliment both the San Jose Local Organizing Committee for the event that they put together for the Women's College Cup. And certainly this was at short notice after the change of venue from North Carolina. And they did a tremendous job hosting the pre-College Cup banquet in the downtown rotunda in San Jose that was hosted by Julie Foudy, and then the stadium, the Via Stadium, was terrific environment for the contest. And Houston has done a tremendous job also. And the NSCA, we really committed to working with Houston to try to promote the event. And I went down there in September, met with their group, and have stayed in touch with them. And there's really an exciting weekend plan. First of all, there is a youth soccer showcase that college coaches will be coming to view the youth talent to possibly recruit to the college game. Thursday, we'll have, again, the NCAA will host the pre-College Cup banquet where we will again present the All-Americas and Herman semifinalists that will be competing on the weekend. That's going to be followed by a reception for former college players and coaches who will be in for the event that will be kind of a kickoff party for the weekend. Then we will have uh, also for college coaches, there's going to be a reception at the Takati deck at the BBVA Compass Stadium pregame both on Friday and Sunday. Saturday, there's a clinic for YMCA children that I and some college coaches will be making presentations at along with Dynamo players, and that should be very exciting. And then we've got the the Sunday final. So it really looks to be a very, very exciting event. The uh, local organizing committee has been very energetic to try to make this a good showcase for 
the Division One College Cup and the college game. So excited about being there in the games. It certainly should be something that has some very unique perspective. Wake Forest and Denver in the opening game. And as you already mentioned, Bobby Muse formerly coached Denver with Jamie Franks being his assistant. Jamie played at Wake Forest before going to Denver to join Bobby, who was an assistant coach at Wake Forest before taking the Denver job. And so there's a lot of stories in that game that are going to be compelling. And and one of them is, again, how far can Denver go? Denver, as you and I have spoken about on numbers of occasions and was brought up on the podcast, they've only lost one game in two years. And they've played out of the Summit League, so they have not gained the national notoriety as many other schools have, but they have quietly and consistently won games. And they went into Riggs Field last week and got the goal in the 89th minute to punch their ticket to the party this weekend. So that's going to be a very interesting game. And then reigning champion Stanford playing against North Carolina, the second semifinal with North Carolina being no stranger to college cups. That should also be a very exciting match. And again, looking at this for a Friday night entertainment, I think it should be very exciting for the fans of college soccer. Outstanding breakdown as always. Rob Kehoe, so great to have you on. We've got one more college soccer podcast to do next week. Plan on your return. Thanks for being with us, Rob. Okay, Dean. Thank you and have a great show. Rob, thanks so much. This has been a great show. It's been a championship show as we've talked to seven national champion coaches from Northwestern Ohio at the NAIA women's side, Stuart Gore. From the men's side, Hastings NAIA champion Aaron Champanoy. On the D3 side, University of Washington in St. Louis, Jim Collin won a title for the women. The Tufts men's soccer team won it on the men, and Josh Shapiro has also been on. Up next at D2, we spent time with Gary Hamill. He won the first ever national championship at Wingate in any sport, winning the men's title. On the women's side, Western Washington's Travis Canal wins their first title. And on the D1 side, University of Southern Cal head coach Kadani McAlpine. One more coach remaining. Carlos Samuano, he won a championship in his first year as top man in North Carolina in 2011. He's looking to win his second just five years later, and he joins me next on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. The 2017 NSCAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com. I want to thank Rob Kehoe for setting the table on the Men's College Cup taking place this weekend in Houston. As we told you to start the show, we talked to Stanford coach Jeremy Gunn in the NSCA College Soccer Podcast number one, and he is the reigning national champion coach. Several weeks ago, we talked to Denver head coach Jamie Franks, and just a few weeks later, we talked to former Denver and now Wake Forest coach Bobby Muse. So that leaves only the elusive Carlos Samuano, head coach of the University of North Carolina and Chapel Hill men's soccer team, to be on the podcast. Now, 
Carlos Samuano is the active leader in winning percentage among Division I head coaches. He's in his sixth year at the helm of the Tar Heels. Of course, who could forget that Samuano reached the summit of collegiate soccer when he led the Tar Heels to the 2001 NCAA title, becoming just the second rookie head coach in NCAA history to win a national championship. This came after he served nine years as the assistant at UNC, winning the NSCAA Assistant Coach of the Year in 2010. Now, Carlos Samuano has led his team to the NCAA tournament every year on the job as the top man. And this year, he's seen his team beat Florida Gulf Coast in a thrilling 3-2 double overtime win at home against Bob Butehorn's team. Of course, Bob's been on the program. Go on the road and beat Ian McIntyre's team at Syracuse. Of course, Ian's been on the program. And then come back home to stop the amazing run of Craig Stewart's Providence team, Of course, Craig was also on the program, and here he goes again in the College Cup, going for national championship number two in just six years. Carlos, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Carlos, it's never easy. You know, you got that thrilling overtime win, then two 1-0 wins. It's win or go home time, so it's about mentality, right, and preparation? Yeah, I I think it's it's about what you've done the entire year to prepare. So we take it that these moments you're you're not going to be ready for if, if you haven't started preparing them for them from day one and, and really from the the year prior, starting in January. So it's a cumulative effect. It's a process that there's no shortcuts. We're, we're excited to, to have advanced to the College Cup. Are you sharing with the boys any stories of 2011, or is that ancient history? We periodically share stories from, from all past years, you know, of successes and maybe some things that didn't work out and some examples of the, the players and, and the student-athletes that we've had that left their legacy before them. And that's a great thing about being at the University of North Carolina. There's so many experiences uh, that we get to pass on to these guys. Speaking of experiences, your father had an amazing experience, dare I say, coming over from Cuba at a very young age to make it in this country. Well, yeah, my, my father, um, as you mentioned, he came from Cuba um, at a very young age, 16 years old, um, and, and by himself. So uh, he crossed over and came in the country as a political refugee and in a turbulent time uh, in that country's history and uh, started fresh here, uh, 16 years old by himself and without speaking any English. So um, he was able to find his way, make a living for himself and um, uh, raise a family here and give us this opportunity. So, you know, you come over as a first generation American myself and, you know, have parents that, that see things a little bit different and appreciate what they have and uh, in this country and and you kind of you kind of have that in you so it gives you a lot of uh, motivation and inspiration to to achieve and and to work hard for for what you get indeed and i think if i remember the story right you actually grew up in texas but then we're in florida talk about your path uh where you grew up and then how you went to florida and then ended up in richmond yeah that's right i grew up in seabrook texas it's close to houston about 30 40 miles outside of houston so it's a little bit of a homecoming for me to be at the college cup really have time to tell you the story of how i found my way to to Eckerd college in florida but i made it was lucky to have that opportunity. Jim DeNoble was my coach at Edgar College and gave me, a great, gave me a great opportunity to get a college education and to continue playing soccer. Really helped guide me into the, the coaching uh, career profession afterwards. A long journey for me to kind of find my way in, 
in this game, but um, an exciting one. And like I said, it's one that um, I think was always going to be in my uh, destiny because I was just willing to work. And I never thought about, you know, looking backwards or sideways, just always looking forward and trying to find my next step. And it never crossed my mind that I wasn't going to be able to, to be successful and, and find a way of making a living in this in this sport. But have some fun with me, though, because I remember you telling me the college cup was in Richmond, so you figured, hey, i got to go to Richmond to get into coaching. Uh, walk us through that again because it's fascinating. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. I was living in Florida and um, at the time and trying to find my way. It was the early 90s or mid-90s, and so I was trying to find my way in, into coaching soccer and come off um, a couple severe surgeries from, uh, from playing, and that's, you know, Tends to be a lot of a lot of guys' stories. Uh, start thinking about how to stay in the game, and, and coaching is is a great way to do it. So I was looking at opportunities. Where am I? How am I going to do this? And I was a little bit lost. And I heard the College Cup was going to Richmond, and so I, I figured I I need to find my way to Richmond. That's the heart of college soccer. So I applied to graduate school um, across the country. I got accepted to a couple places, and one of them being the University of Richmond, and that's. That's why I choose, uh, chose to go to that school. So, And then um, I was fortunate enough while I was there to get hired by Tim O'Sullivan, who was at Virginia Commonwealth University at the time, and, um, you know, get an assistant coaching position with him and, and the university there. And I was there for seven years, great seven years, and made my way down to Chapel Hill as an assistant with Elmar and then moved up to the head coaching well, and, and I remember that process as well because truly, Carlos, you were a patient man because not only did you spend that seven years at Virginia Commonwealth and nine years at UNC, but then the process of interviewing. This is a high-profile job, so I remember you got Mike Freitag and Shaka Daly and some, some big-time names coming in, and, and I remember talking to you at the time. It took a little bit of time. Then finally, I think the players even came forward and said, man, this guy's phenomenal. We need Carlos Samuano, and it happened. But that was um, some tough few days. Days there, right, Carlos? Yeah, that was a that was an interesting story in amongst itself, to say the least. I'm forever grateful to Mr. Dick Bedor and and Anton Dorrance as well. They both were very influential, or Anton was very influential, and, and Mr. Dick Bedor, the athletic director at the time, is the one who hired me. You know, when when Elmar moved on, you know, the the first couple days, um, I thought, you know, this is great. Maybe I got a shot at this, and then maybe two or three days into it, I realized. Well, maybe not. What and what happens if I don't get this job? Um, I could be, you know, completely out of luck altogether. So it's an interesting time. It took about four months. Um, my wife was pregnant with our third child at the time. Lo and behold, I was hired on um, April 23rd, and, and my son was born on April 24th, and that was the year 2011. And about uh, eight months later, we won the national championship. So um, it was a great year. Yeah, I think that uh, means you're going to be around for a long, long time, and now you got your team back in the College Cup again. I know it's not going to be easy. You know it's not going to be easy. But if these two or three things go right, you could walk out with your second national championship in six years. What are they, Coach? Well, for us, it's really being um, hyper-focused. We've learned a lot this year, and uh, I think that the major setbacks that we had came from times where we just lost our concentration either, you know, during that week in, in training or in, in the game, just within the game, uh, that games that we played. And um, on the other side, we've been very successful when we've had very 
good leadership and very good focus. Um, and that's just a little bit the team dynamic and the team chemistry um, of guys is that they got great personalities. They're wonderful uh, student athletes to be around, uh, very excitable, uh, but they can also kind of mentally get off track at times during the years, during the during the year, um, the season this year. So the times that we brought really brought it back together and really peaked is when uh, we really narrowed our focus, really narrowed in on what our objectives are. That's when we play very well. Well, I love that answer. I love your story. I know there's about 10 things you'd rather be doing than this, including watching that paint dry down in Houston. But, Carlos, I appreciate you coming on the program because uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Your story is just fascinating. I love it, including the Richmond thing and and uh, the sacrifice your dad made at 16 years old and, and obviously the success you've had in just six short years and more success coming. Carlos Samuano, thanks uh, so much for being on the NSCA College Soccer Podcast. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. We appreciate you, Carlos, and all of our guests. want to thank everybody at the NSCAA, including Sean Chevro and Lynn Berling-Manuel, amongst others. I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for our final edition of the 2016 NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. But we'll have more each week leading up to the NSCAA convention in L.A. Thanks for being with us. Have a great day, everybody. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.